Good morning, church. Today we're in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, which you just heard read, which is a message to the church in ancient Ephesus about who Jesus is and what he loves about them and what he's calling them to in repentance and the promises that he has for them. Now, this was a pattern in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. There's seven churches that John writes to with the words of Jesus with this same pattern, the declaration of Jesus in unique ways. So each church gets a different reminder about who Jesus is. And then each church gets a different admonition, uh, encouragement, uh, repentance, some things that Jesus loves and some things that he doesn't love about their church. And then they get promises, unique promises to each church. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the other churches aren't also getting those things. It's that these promises speak to them in their situation. So to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Next church, Smyrna, and the one after that, Pergamum, they don't get that promise. But they're still going to get to eat from the tree that's in the paradise of God. It's just that this promise speaks individually to Ephesus for some reason. In this case, probably because of a famous tree that was in the city, that was in the garden, that was for the worship of Artemis, that was on some of their coinage. So there are things in each of these letters that are unique to the church and the city to whom Jesus is speaking and there's a clear pattern clear pattern and so today for our lesson but also for our small group activity or for your own personal devotions if you choose we're going to identify the pattern and I'm going to use Ephesus as the example and work through these seven verses to show you what Jesus says about himself and what he loves about the church what he's convicting them of and condemning them of asking them to repent of and what his promises are. So that fourfold pattern. Jesus and his approval, his disapproval, and call to repentance, and his promises. And so what would be helpful is if you read through chapters 2 and 3 and maybe make a list of what he says to each of these churches. Together, you and I today are trying to listen and identify what Jesus might say to us. If he was writing to the church in Bentonville, what would he say about our city, and our church. What would he say about our unique situation in this town? Let me start with uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where Jesus reveals some parts of his own character to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus holder of seven stars. I mean, that sounds impressive, even if we don't know any ancient culture. <laughs> it's just like he's in charge of the heavens. It's power and authority. Jesus is in charge. To the Ephesians, he reminds them of this. I'm the one in charge. And I walk among the seven lampstands. That would be the seven churches written to here in Asia Minor. So their lamps are burning bright. They're the light of the world. And Jesus is among them. So he has authority and he's present. He has power, and he's, and he's near. He knows what's going on in the churches. You know, the Roman emperors sometimes put stars on their coins, along with titles like Son of God and different kinds of claims to divinity like that. So for Jesus to say, I hold the seven stars, in the ancient 
Roman world context, of which Ephesus is the largest city in Asia Minor, and man, huge supporters of Rome, like really all in for Rome as a city. For him to say that is to say, Rome might, Rome might be powerful, but I hold the stars. I have ultimate authority. So here's Jesus, who's in charge and who's present. And he says what he loves about the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus loves his church. And Jesus loves this church because of what they've done. He says, I know your deeds, that you have worked hard. You know, this reminds me of something Jesus might say to the church in Bentonville. You work hard. I love this about my church, that you work hard. Bentonville is a place where people work hard. Uh, All of us know folks that work hard, put in long hours. We have big corporations here. And we have a large vendor community. There's a lot of opportunity here to make a living, to make a career, and and to advance. And people work hard for that. And there's pressure that goes along with that. I mean, our city is sometimes humorously referred to as a little Manhattan in the Midwest. Why? Well, not because we're anywhere near the size of Manhattan, but because the work culture here is high pressure. And what goes along with that is Benton County and Washington County are among the leading counties in the nation for divorce rates. So we live in it all the time. People here are almost always busy and maybe worse, almost always rushed. And so we live in a frenetic society right here. And this is unique to our town and our church. Not every town has the work ethic our town does. Not every church has the work ethic our church has. You know, our church in the time that we've been together, worshiping together, in the years that I've been here with you, we worked hard. There's been a lot done on our campus and in our community and in the missions field. I mean, you all are hard workers. And I think Jesus loves this about you. He loves this about his church. And yet he might be aware that sometimes we are so close to our culture that we begin to have blind spots. We, we can't see where the points of separation might be. And so to this church, Ephesus, Jesus has things to say to praise them, but also to call them back out of however they might be blending in too much to the world around them and to remind them of their purpose and their unique identity. So he says, you've tested those who are apostles by name, but not really. You've tested the ones that falsely claim this. And you've found them to be false. You've endured hardships for many. You haven't grown weary. Jesus says, these are all wonderful things that you're doing. Now, Jesus isn't pleased with everything going on in Ephesus. So he turns then in verse 4 to some warnings. He says, I have this against you. So what does Jesus have against Ephesus? You've forsaken your first love. We hear that. And maybe think of all kinds of different things. What does Jesus mean by forsaking your first love? Do they not love Jesus as much as they did before? Has their worship grown stale and boring? Is it cold? Is it repetitive and empty? 
Or has their way of expressing love to their community through acts of charity dwindled? Have they, were they great givers at first? Were they working hard for orphans and widows and showing hospitality in their homes and now they've slacked off or something like that? Well, Jesus says, you, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It sounds like Jesus is saying that no matter how good the words of worship are in your church, you're not doing what you used to do. So these are hard workers, and yet maybe their work is going in the wrong direction. Jesus seems to be saying, you used to do great acts of love, and I want to see that again. I want to see that impacting the city of Ephesus. Be a light there. If you, if you don't repent and do the things you did at first... I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And this is a, an interesting and sad historical insight into Ephesus. When you go and look at the ancient remains that are there in the archaeology, there is a church, a, a pretty nice church. It was an important church. And the church in Ephesus for centuries was highly regarded. They were thought of as being a really great church. And so the church fathers who wrote after the end of the scripture canon was collected, they talked about the church in Ephesus. And even in the scripture canon itself, Ephesus comes up a lot. It's in the book of Acts. Paul visits the elders. They weep together when they see each other for the last time. He loved them so much. Paul writes a letter to Ephesus that was circulated around the area. He, he writes letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, who was the preacher in Ephesus. And, and then here in Revelation, they're the first church addressed by Jesus in this little letter. So they're a prominent, important church. And in the 5th century AD, there was a church council in Ephesus where Christians from all over the known world came together to talk about the future of the church in the world. So it, it was an important and meaningful place. And yet today... There is no church there, just the remains of a church, an empty hall. And Jesus had warned them, I'll take the lampstand and remove it if you don't do what you did at first. So Jesus calls them to repentance, and he calls us to repentance. But how? How is he calling us to repentance? And as you work through these seven churches and make your list or whatever, you might see different ways that Jesus calls churches to repent and start to consider which of those apply to me personally and to our church in Bentonville. How, how is Jesus calling us to be distinct and to fan the flames of love here in Bentonville as this church in this city? He says, but you do have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus is hopeful. He says, I do love a lot of what you're doing, and you, like me, Jesus, you disagree with the Nicolaitans. So now you want to know who are the Nicolaitans. Well, so do I. Scholars debate it. People do research on it. And no one in the world, even great Bible authorities in the world, know for sure who the Nicolaitans were. But whoever they were, the people getting this letter knew. And Jesus knew. When you think about groups that might be around our town, it's kind of easy for us to refer to them with a short name or phrase and you would know exactly who I'm talking about. So if we were to say the mountain biking community, everybody knows that we have great trails here and that it's fun to get outside and to ride on these mountain bike trails. We're now calling ourselves the mountain bike capital of the world. I mean, that's awesome, so neat. 
And so if you just refer to mountain bikers, everybody knows the culture that we're talking about. Or if I use the word vendors, everyone knows what a vendor is in Bentonville. There's the people that work at the big corporations here like Walmart and Tyson and J.B. Hunt. And then there's the vendor community that sells things through Walmart or provides services for these major corporations. And the vendor community is important to our community. A lot of us have worked in the vendor community or came here for those jobs. And so if we say vendors, everybody in town knows the group of people we're talking about. And the same would have been true when these people heard the word Nicolaitans. The important part of Revelation is not that we understand who Jesus is talking about in Ephesus, but that they understood. Do you see how important this is for the topic of Revelation? If God said to us here in Bentonville today, you know, I love, I love the works that you're doing for the international community and missions. And yet, in your town, there are people who have moved here from other nations. And he said, like, the Eastern Indian population. Or if he said, um, the, uh, the Islanders. We would know who he's talking about. And we would think, wow, Jesus has been hoping that we would get more invested in, the, in this Marshallese Islander community or in these Eastern Indian folks that are here in our town, but we would know when he said it. Or if he, if he again, if he used a, a word like, you know, you're right next to the farmer's market, we would know that he's talking about the downtown farmer's market and then he's calling us into some mission there to get to know our neighbors there or to do some work there. Whatever it might be, when we hear the, the name, it's important that we know who Jesus is talking about in our situation. So I wonder who he would be calling us to. Who he would say, you know, don't follow this group's practices. Or get involved in serving this group or minister to this group of people. Now, Jesus has promises for the church in Ephesus. He wants their vision to be on the long game and on the relationship with God in eternity that they're going to enjoy. So he promises this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We remember that the tree of life was in the paradise called Eden, the beginning of the story of Scripture. And again, now multiplied into 12, at the end of Scripture, it's in the paradise of God, in the new heavens and the new earth, growing now 12-fold on either side of the river that comes from the throne of God, and each month it produces fruit that's for the healing of the nations. This vision through Scripture is that Adam and Eve had access to the tree of life. They weren't immortal. They needed this presence, this thing that God could give to them. And because of the sin that came into their lives and their need to be healed, repent, to grow to become like God, to be, to be saved from their sin, to be, become images of God that are healed instead of broken. Because of this need from the sin in their life, God had to remove them from the tree of life so that they, as he says, they wouldn't eat of it and live forever. He didn't want them to live forever in that broken, corrupt state. And he doesn't want that for us either. So he's working on healing us. He's saved us through Jesus, and he's sanctifying us through the Holy Spirit. You remember last week in 1 Peter 1, it talked about the Father, Son, and Spirit 
and their mutual work in saving us. The Father calls us, the Son sprinkles us with his blood, and the Spirit sanctifies us to obedience to Jesus. Sanctification means he's healing us. He's driving the sin out of our lives and our hearts and healing us of our sin as we repent. And he is building us up to look like Jesus, to be formed to the image of Jesus as he teaches us how to live and how to live based on the Spirit, how to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit is sanctifying us. He's making a whole house remodel of us and preparing us to eat of the tree of life. This promise for the Ephesians just must have been a great promise because of the symbolism it evoked of religious hope in their city, but pagan religious hope, and then their own hope in God who's calling them forward to keep the love alive and to keep the works of service coming and to not give up and to distinguish themselves well within and for and sometimes against their city. So as we, as we come to an end today, this is what I want to offer to you. These letters in Revelation, of which I've just given you a sample today, are God's way of revealing to his churches in unique cities and unique places and times how they're called to step up as a church in their relationship with Jesus. He's calling us to that too, but can we hear it? Can we see what he's trying to reveal to us? This should be the object of our prayer. And I'm going to ask you again as small groups or as individuals or family units to take this as a devotional opportunity to read through the seven letters and make your list and to think about which of these God is saying to us, and whether there are other things in Scripture that are about God, that are about His promises, that are about what He loves or about what He hates, that He's convicting us of right now as people and as a church. So here's some questions that might go along with that. When we think about uh, this revelation, how would Jesus describe Himself to the Bentonville Church of Christ? Which of his characteristics would shine through when he spoke to us? If Jesus said to the Bentonville Church of Christ, Church, I know your, what would he approve of? If he said, I know your, what, what would he approve of? What would he love about this church? If he said, nevertheless, against you I have, what would he say about this church? If he said, if he said uh, I am promising you, who overcome, that you will receive. What would he promise to this church? This is what we're thinking about together. This is what we're praying about. So here's some questions that would help. If our church closed today, not just pandemic closed, but if this church was gone, who would miss it? Obviously, the, the thousand or so of us that are on the membership role and that worship here from time to time, we would miss it. But I'm talking about outside of our actual worshiping body. If the church closed, who would miss it? Would the neighborhood miss it? Would the city miss it? Would they notice? Who would miss it? Is our campus a place that our neighbors come to? Or is it a place that they just go around? In other words, is our, is our meeting as a church here something that our neighbors like? Or is it an obstacle to them that they don't even know us? They just have to go around us. Does our church being here bring value to this neighborhood? And we were gone, what would they miss about it? And then you could ask also, are we distinct enough to even be noticed? Like, are we different enough 
from regular life in Benton County to even be noticed? And are we different enough and distinct enough to be missed? And are we distinct enough to be growing in that unique Christian way towards the Son of God, to be like him in every way? Are we distinct enough? And, and I would ask you to think about this as a person. How does your life look more like Jesus' life because of your participation in this church? As you've worshipped and worked and served here, how specifically has your life looked more like Jesus' life? What have you repented of during your time here? Think back. Has God called you to repentance? Has he put on your heart a change? Has he removed sin from your life? You know, has he dug it out? Has he called you forward in a change of your mind and the change of your actions in life to be like him? What have you repented of? What works of love has you, have you given time to here? What have been your works of service and love here at this church? What are they specifically? What have you learned? about distinguishing the true faith from a false faith? What have you learned about distinguishing the true way of following Jesus from shallow, empty imitations of it, from the shallow hall of it? What have we learned together about the true faith that's fanning the flames and keeping the lamp bright in its place? These kinds of questions are great for prayer as a group or as an individual, to open our minds and our hearts to what Jesus might want to say from us. And I look forward to hearing from you. I'm hoping to get some emails or some texts from groups or from people about what Jesus has put on your heart for you and for our church, because this is the way God reveals his calling for his churches in specific cities at specific times. As he speaks to us, after he's revealed to us what's most true, himself, and he's revealed to us what it means to be a person who longs for the coming of Jesus, and he's revealed to us the, the surety of our salvation that is kept in heaven for us, like we talked about in the last three weeks, then he begins to reveal to us what he's calling us to as a church, how to be the church in this place in this time. And so I'd like to pray for us in that journey together this morning uh, and pray God's rich blessings over you as you do it. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, I think about the town that we live in, and I just love it. I, I love the unique aspects of our town, the way people work hard here. I love that we have the best crepes outside of France. I love that we have all these bike trails. I love that you've blessed us with the farmer's markets and the parks and a community that's open and friendly in so many ways to newcomers, that it's vibrant. We have great music and great food to eat. I love this church that you have put us in, Father, that is passionate in worship and loves the Word. We're a scripture-based church, and I love that about this church, that people, even when they disagree, they go to scripture and they try to obey scripture and the commands of it to love each other, even when they disagree. God, I know you love this town and this church way more than I can. You are just madly in love with your world and passionate about it and also angry when people are destroying the goodness in it. 
and, and you're angry at sin and its power in our lives, and you want us to repent so that we can heal and restore the project of the church in the city for the sake of your son Jesus and for your own glory, Father. Make that so here. I pray that you would work in this unique town and this unique church and reveal to us what you're calling us to in repentance, the things that you admire, the promises that you have for us. Help us to do this together as your people in the time that you have placed us in. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and together the church says, Amen.